But I want to assure you that no matter how mature you are, it's not like you get the gospel and you move on. Uh, maturity is actually defined by going deeper into the gospel. So this message is really for everyone, no matter where you're at. Now, I want you to think about this, that on this day, there are hundreds of millions of people around the world who are filled with indescribable joy because there is this one event that happened in human history where one man died and rose again. And through the centuries, people have been filled with indescribable joy even to the point of laying down their lives and being killed, defending and holding on to this Joy. I don't know if you guys woke up and read the news, but there, there's, there, was, there was people that, that really paid uh, with their lives by just going to celebrate the risen Christ today in Sri Lanka. Now, in the space of 20 minutes, I'd like to explain to you, with God's help, why the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has given hope and joy and meaning to so many people I can't give you every reason why. Uh, I believe one pastor was right, and he came up with 50 reasons. I'm I'm not going to give you 50, but I had to choose two, and so I'm going to give you two, which I think are pretty big ones. Now, I will say this for myself. I was 14 years old when I I met Christ. My son is two years younger than that, but I was 14 when I, I met Christ. I... I remember going through my teen years, and there was this incredible emptiness that was in my life. And I was looking for something. I wouldn't say I'm looking for something, but inside my heart, I was looking for something. And I didn't know what I was looking for, but I did know that everything that the world was offering me just wasn't ultimately satisfying. And so... um So I would describe it um, like this. There's this scene in The Matrix. I don't know. I'm dating myself, but there's a scene in The Matrix where Neo gets a chance to walk away. I don't know if you remember this scene. And, And Trinity says, trust me. And Neo says, why? And Trinity says, because you know that road. You know where it ends. And when I saw that movie, something inside my heart just resonated. I, I know what she's talking about. I, I know the road that the world offers because I've been down that road and I know where it ends. And it's not ultimately satisfying. There's good gifts, 
but it doesn't provide something that's ultimate or eternal. And so there was this hollowness to life that was, was haunting me. Until at the age of 14, I, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And inside my heart, I knew that that was the thing I was looking for all my life. And I knew that was what I was looking for. Now, I'm just wondering if you can relate to anything that I have just shared. Have, have you been looking for something? Like in your heart of hearts, have you been searching for something? And maybe you have this growing feeling that the world and all it has to offer is good, but not ultimate. And I just want to submit to you that can it be, can it be that the death and resurrection of this one man is the hope and the meaning and the joy that your heart has always been looking for? Would you consider that this morning? That your answer to your heart is Jesus. Now the story of God expressed in the drama that you've just seen, it culminates in a funeral, and, and people wearing black and being very sad about the passing of a deeply loved one. And I just want to say, isn't that kind of weird that we're, we're, we're talking about the Christian faith and right away we're talking about death? It's just kind of weird. Like, for example, uh, last week I was in Taiwan and I was just kind of looking around at what the people in Taiwan believed in. And I, and I saw a lot of symbols, but a lot of them were, had, a lot of them I, I saw this. And um, <clears throat> if I didn't know anything about Buddhism, uh, I would see, you know, a, a large man, uh, I, I'm large earlobes, and he's very happy. And I'm like, okay, it, it seems to me that, that what's being reflected is just joy and happiness, and that's, that's pretty attractive. I just want to say, by way of contrast, that the, the Christian symbol is not that, but it's, it's this. Now, historically, what is that? Now, I, I know that we think what we think when we see that, but historically, you should know this is a Roman instrument of torture and death. I mean, you imagine like the early church leaders looking or like, hey, who came up with that one for our symbol? Right? That, that's our symbol. But I do want you to know, I do want you to know that when Paul went to Athens and, and, and he wanted to, you know, to, to give the Christian message and he, he was articulating what he said. He's like, I really wanted to be on point. And so he said, I preached Christ and him crucified. So I think Paul would say, actually, no, you got it right. That is the Christian symbol. That, that is in, in, in essence, the starting place of what we stand for. So I, I want to point out that Jesus, unlike the founder of all the other major world religions, Jesus is unique in that his greatest contribution was not his teaching. It wasn't his military conquest. It was not his leadership, but it was through his death on a cross. Why? 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1, probably explains this in the most succinct way. It says this, 
Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you preached, you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Okay, you've been waiting for it. Here it is. Here is the gospel that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. By the way, Cephas is Peter, and we're going we're gonna to unpack more of his story later. Then to the twelve, then to five hundred, and so forth. Now, according to 1 Corinthians 15, according to the gospel, Jesus died, Christ died. Why? Well, for our sins. Now, I just got to say that for some people, when I say the word sin or I say the word sinners, I think for a lot of Americans, there is a fundamental disconnect. Like, it's almost like, whoa, 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 who are you calling a sinner, you know? And uh, it, 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 I guess we can find it like an offensive concept. Like, why so dark a view on humanity? Uh, I think people would say, yeah, sure, no one's perfect, you know? But I think sinner is a little bit too far. Uh, I used to think like that. And I, I, I couldn't relate to being a sinner. I, I was, like as a student, I was a 4.0 student. Or actually, more, it was more like 3.85. But still, I mean, who's like really counting, right? And who remembers that stuff? But, but then there would be m- moments when I would just kind of notice that there was nasty things inside other people. And then I would notice there's nasty things inside myself. I I think what happened is the older I got and the more I just understood people and the more I just saw clearly what was in my own heart, just just like Jared was was sharing, the more I didn't like what I saw. I mean, in the moments of honesty, I saw... I saw cheating on my exam. That's how I got the 3.85, you know. I saw envy. I saw lust. And I started to learn that there's a lot of things that I do that are not right. Those are called sins of commission. But there's also a lot of things that I don't do that are not right. Like, I don't love God the way that he deserves to be loved. And when people hurt me and are mean to me, It's very hard for me to be kind and to forgive them. Very, very hard. And then I started to learn that it's not just the things that I do, but it's the inclinations of my heart. Like, why is it that my first inclination is is always so freaking selfish? Why am I so self-absorbed? And why I fall into addiction so easily? And so... I mean, nowadays, you go, okay, you know, who you call in sinner? And I'd be like, you know, honestly, it's me. And according to my read of the scriptures, the scriptures make it clear that all of us have a sin problem, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I think what added to my clarity on the topic of sin and being a sinner is, is not just 
it's not just what I saw in the other peop- people. It's, it's what I saw in the scriptures. Like something dangerous happens to a person when they read the scriptures. And the scriptures were telling the truth about me and us, but the scriptures also reveal the truth about God and what he's like. That not only is he loving, but he is also holy. And not just one time holy, but God is holy, holy, holy. Like when the angels around him see him, they cry out holy three times. It's like looking at the sun in all of its brilliance with your naked eyes. You, you, just, you just, it's all the, the, the radiance. And it, that's like looking at God in his moral perfection. It's, 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 it's ultimately beautiful. And so as I read the scriptures, I have come to this realization that God is holy. And you know what? We're not. Now, the scriptures make it clear that because of our sin, each of us is going to be judged by God. People who believe in God normally believe that he's loving. But let's be honest, Americans don't like to think of God as a holy judge. But the thing is, the idea that God is loving comes from scripture, And so does the idea that God is a holy judge. Why did Jesus go to the cross? It is the solution to our problem. Each of us was going to stand before God in judgment for all of our sins. And so this is what God did. God sent his son down from heaven. And on Friday night, he was arrested. He was brought to trial and falsely accused. And they spat on him, and they whipped him, and they mocked him, and they rejected him. They cried out, crucify him, crucify him. They nailed his hands and feet to a cross, and they taunted him while he suffocated to death. Jesus died on the cross in accordance with the scriptures for our sins. And so we look at the symbol of the cross. What do we see? A beautiful exchange. His death for your life. His shame for your glory. His separation from the Father for your connection to the Father and total forgiveness. His agony for your everlasting joy. The death of Jesus is the symbol of the price God paid to make you his child. It is a symbol of the depth of his goodness, of his love and his grace. Every world religion talks about what you must do, what you must do to achieve paradise or cosmic oneness or nirvana. But the Christian faith is different. It starts off not with what you can do, but what God did for you. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you to forgive your sins. And then, on the third day, he rose from the grave. 
Now, <clears throat> have you ever wondered what it would look like if Jesus rising from the grave happened today? I wonder if it would look something like this. Wow, that was, that was fantastic. Um, Jay will be available in the back after service to, to autograph your Bible. <clears throat> um, now, if you remember in the beginning of my first talk, I said that I wanted to do a couple things with this message. I, I wanted to explain at least two reasons why the death and resurrection of one man has led to hope and meaning and joy for so many people around the world. And I was making the case that the death of Jesus is incredibly good news because we were going to be held accountable for our sins. And so a great exchange happened where the death of Jesus was exchanged for our life so we could be forgiven. Now this is called the gospel, and this is called justification, and it's a big deal. And I also want to say that there's more, there's more good news. And so Jesus rose from the grave also to show us the promise of unconditional love and the power for new life. Let me say that again. Jesus rose from the grave also to show us the promise of unconditional love and the power for new life. Now, you see this very clearly in the story of Peter. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about his story. If you read about it in the Bible, Peter was given the name Peter, which means rock, by the way. It was given to him by Jesus. And so, you know, before there was Rocky Balboa, there was the very first Rocky. And one day, after uh, many days of observing Jesus... It was revealed to Peter the true identity uh, of Jesus. And so one time they're in small group and it came out of Peter's mouth. And he looked at Jesus and he and basically said, I think I know who you really are. You're the son of the living God. And at that moment, Jesus kind of gave him like a, like a, um, a spot on commissioning. He said, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, the, the rock it has two meanings. The, the rock is his leadership and also what he just said. So based on your leadership and what you just said, I'm going to build my church on you. In other words, he's saying, Peter, I have very high hopes for you. You are going to be my mouthpiece. You're going to take the message of who I am to the world, and it's going to happen through your lips. Now, you need to realize that that was like a metaphorical microphone that Jesus was giving to Peter and saying, I'm choosing you, Peter, to be my mouthpiece. You know, they say that a person is defined by the key moments of their lives. 
by the moment of testing when they're squeezed and whatever comes out is who they really are. Peter had perhaps a defining moment when Jesus was arrested. Jesus was under trial and in an adjacent courtyard, Peter was kind of watching what was happening to Jesus from a distance. And during that time when he's observing Jesus, there's three people who ran into Peter. And they basically said, hold it, you look familiar. I think I, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter three times basically said, no, no, that's not you. you I, I don't know Jesus. And then he said it again, I don't know him. And then he said it the third time, but the third time he invoked a curse on himself if he was lying. So he basically said, look, I'll be damned to hell if I'm lying. I don't know that man. Now here is Peter in his defining moment. How does he do? I can imagine what Peter was thinking. The scripture says that he ran out and he wept bitterly. But I can imagine what's going through Peter's mind. It's something like, I was chosen to be the mouthpiece of Jesus. And with my mouth, my mouth, I'm the mouthpiece. He said, with my mouth, I lied, I betrayed, I denied, and then I doubled down on my betrayal by invoking a curse on myself. I was basically screaming to the world, I don't know him. I have nothing to do with him. That's me. I'm the mouthpiece. That's what I did. I, I, I'm a com- I was tested, I was squeezed, and what came out were the words of a coward. You know why? Because I'm a coward. I'm a complete failure. That's what Peter must have been thinking. Now, after Peter denied him and Jesus was killed three day- days later, Jesus rises from the grave. We don't have a lot of teaching from Jesus or a lot of interactions from Jesus after he rose from the grave. But this is one of the things that Jesus came to do when he rose from the grave. He goes to Peter. John 20, verse 15. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? More than these? You know, I believe in a risen Jesus who is still asking that question. In fact, of all questions, I imagine this would be the very first he would ask you. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Peter three times said, I don't know him. I don't know him. I'll be damned if I'm lying. I don't know him. And now Jesus looks at Peter and he gives him three opportunities to do it right. Three opportunities to say it right. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. You know all things. You know that I love you. Now, I just want you to imagine in the heart of Peter It's my heart too, which says, you mean after everything I did, you still want me? You still want me after what I did to you? Like in your 
greatest moment of need. I lied. I betrayed. I stabbed you in the back. I revealed who I really am. I'm a failure. Do you still want me? And Jesus says to Peter three times, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, you are still my shepherd. In other words, I still want you. Even after I failed you, I still want you. Jesus rose from the grave, and in his resurrection life, he goes to Peter and shows him the unstoppable, unconditional, unwavering love of God. And it is the same love that he extends to you and to me. And so for all people who have been told, not good enough, for all people who feel like I try my best, but it's not good enough, for everyone here who knows they have failed, but also know and also know that they need a Savior, there is a God who, despite your failures, rises from the grave to love you with an unconditional, never-stopping, doesn't-depend-on-your-performance kind of love. And when you know that love, it changes you. After this, we see a dramatic change in Peter's life. He's no longer the same man. He used to be a coward. Peter becomes bold. He used to walk away from suffering, but after this, he patiently endures it and teaches others to do the same. He used to be brash and really into himself. And later on, he's gentle and tender-hearted and less into himself. I'm joking. He actually becomes very humble, very humble. The promise of Jesus for Peter is the promise of Jesus for all of us. It's the promise of an unconditional love that changes your life. And when you see in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and that the Spirit of God that rose him also lives in you, then you know that the Holy Spirit makes the love of God real and the power of God tangible, not just to be a better person, but a new person. The meaning of Easter is this. Jesus Christ died and rose again for our sins to forgive us, to show us unconditional love of God, and to change us by the power of God from the inside out. <clears throat> Thanks, Chris. I, I just have um, one last point to make. Uh, did you notice that there's a commonality um, between Jared's testimony and Chris's? Like, I, I think I noticed that this morning, that it, it, they have definitely common ingredients, which is like, it's the death and the res resurrection of Jesus and what that means for my life. But their personal version seems to be like, yeah, like, in this past season, it just, it became real. That, that, that seems to be like really a version of the, I mean, for, for Jared, it's like there was a 12-inch drop from my head to my heart. And, the, you know, in this past season, it's become real. And, 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 and Chris is saying, well, I, I, don't, I, no, I don't want a fake relationship with Jesus. I want a real one. You guys notice that? It's, it's, it's kind of the same testimony. Now, I, I want to make another observation. If you go to the millions of people around the world who are so crazy filled with joy about Jesus, they wouldn't say, yeah, there was a bunch of ideas, and I really liked them, and so I agreed to them. They, they wouldn't say that. 
They wouldn't say, yeah, my faith means there was like this intellectual, like, yeah, I think I agree with that. They wouldn't say that. You know what they would say? They would say something like, yeah, I met Jesus. Like, what? You met him? Like, you didn't actually meet Jay. No, well, yes and no. In in other words, when a a, a person um, comes to faith, it's not just intellectual agreement. It's not that you um, agree to some ideas, but it's really you're pledging your life to a person. Let me say that again. Jesus is not an idea that you agree with, but a person that you pledge your life to. And so, someone once described faith as forsaking all, I trust him. Some of you might be willing to do that this morning. And we're going to have a little time to do that if you'd like. There's no better time to do it than Easter. Some of you want to think about that more. That's cool. Some of you don't believe. And I hope you will keep on exploring. And I think most of us have something that they want to express to God in prayer. And so we're going to make a little bit of time for that too. So I'm going to close uh, my message now and give you a moment to pray. And then I'm going to pray for you. So I'm just going to invite you all to stand and uh, close your eyes. And on this Easter Sunday, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward as well and just play some music. And whatever is in your heart here on Easter Sunday, I just want to give you a moment to express whatever it is on your heart to God in prayer. You can do it in a whisper. I mean, everyone whispering at the same time, whatever is in your heart here on Easter Sunday, just make it a prayer and just pray it out loud into a whisper. And it's really between you and God. I'll just give you a moment to do that. If faith is spelled forsaking all, I trust him. And some of you have yet to put your faith in Jesus and you feel ready at this moment before the presence of God. You can just pray in the whisper of your heart right now on Easter Sunday, maybe even for the first time. And you can just say forsaking the world Jesus, I put my trust in you. You can just say that in the whisper of your heart, maybe even for the first time. You can say, forsaking the world, Jesus, I put my trust in you. And you can say, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I mean, just as you filled Chris, and he was talking about that experience, just as you filled Jared, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And make the forgiveness and that unconditional love of God real. You can just pray that. 
In fact, I, I just want to pray that for all of you. Father, I just want to pray for the, the, the church family, all the people here, that you would show everyone your unconditional love for them, the one that rose Jesus from the grave and pursued Peter, who felt like a failure, and showed him the unconditional, unwavering love of God. Would you make that real to every person here by the power of your Spirit? Would you make our sins real? Would you bring awareness of it and the reality of our need for a Savior so that we can cry out to Jesus who is right there ready to save? Would you make all that real, Jesus? And then let's um, say a prayer for Jared and for Chris. Father, in a, a few moments, they're about to be baptized. And I, I, yes, of course, I pray for the baptism, but really I pray for their baptized life. That you would give to them in their lives the power through the cross, through your Holy Spirit, not just to be better, but to be new. Change their heart. Change their desires. Have your way with them. And may they be a blessing to so many people. Father, I thank you for your grace and I thank you for your love. And we pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.